Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hi, my name is Lane Ballone. I'm a curious explorer at heart, harmonious creator, and enjoyer of the good stuff in life. I'm the co-author of Unleash Your Humble Alpha with my brother, Stephen Kuhn. I'm a Special Forces Green Beret veteran and co-founder of the Humble Alpha Veteran Empowerment Movement. I'm also a spiritual advisor and focuses much of my time on veteran healing. Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Series, and I'll now hand it over to our host, Jonathan Bowman Perks. Thanks, Lane. Hey, this is a really special day for me and a, a great privilege to have you on. I, uh, through recommendations of other people, I was introduced to you and Stephen and read twice, in fact, three times, uh, your Unleash Your Humble Alpha uh, as the audio version, because I may have shared with you before that I'm dyslexic. So my way of, of listening to books is about 120 different audio books a year. And, and I put you up there on my website as you know, some of my favorite books that I, I listen to. And I recommend to listeners that if they wanna go and uh, find it, just go onto my website, you'll see Unleash Your Humble Alpha. You can click on there, buy it on Amazon or listen to it on Audible. But look, uh, really great to have you on the series. I'd love to get a flavor of what uh, you're doing now. Um, you, you, you're involved in so many different things, Lane. Um, and then just after a, a few minutes on that, then we'll take take me all the way back to your childhood and what shaped the man I now meet today and why you are living as I do find you are uh, being a humble alpha leader and helping so many others. So, so firstly, tell me a bit about now, Lane. Yeah, so uh, a lot of exciting things are going on and uh, really the Unleash Your Humble Alpha book was the spark in a lot of the things that Stephen and I are doing now. And we're actually kind of allowing everything to converse into a, a, a main effort. And what I mean by that is that the Humble Alpha book is now turned into a college university course. And at the time of this recording, uh, Forbes Business School has officially picked up our book as a, as a uh, one credit hour for their master's program. And so we're very excited to get the Humble Alpha into the leadership of aspiring leaders in the U.S., especially for such a great school as Forbes Business School. Uh, other universities have picked it up. And so we're really excited to get that into the different segments of the population because wh who we've been focused on recently has been veteran entrepreneurs that already have businesses that are already in the thick of it. And that's a, a great place to be. And we're st we'll still continue to have a lot of impact and a lot of effort in that area. Um, but getting the, the mindset before they, you know, get into the bad habits of leadership or being able to expose them to this powerful new kind of par uh, paradigm of leadership, you know, and being able to do that in an early stage of their life is, I think, a really important part. So that's that's been going on. Um, Stephen and I, in April, we had our Peru experience and uh, we were there in person and had just a really incredible time. And while we were there, we had a, a beautiful download or insight of what we're now calling the Humble Alpha Veteran Empowerment Movement. And so him and I have been working with veterans for a while. 
And now we're converging that with the Humble Alpha effort. So the Humble Alpha is the is the foundation of everything that we do because it's an inside out model. We focus on who we are, how we interact in the world and what we want to do or our purpose. And we embed all of that and we integrate that with our famous, you know, quality of life uh, aim and uh, being able to have that as a foundation for so many different things in life, not only business leadership, but self-leadership and being able to embed that into, especially for what I'm focusing on a lot is the veteran healing aspect. And so that's, that's one of the things that I really am very excited about is to talk to different leaders within, um, you know, veteran healing space or the healing space in general, and to be able to take the principles, the concepts that are the humble alpha and embedding that into the process of healing, because it's, it's, you know, a lot of people on their healing journey that they, they got to get rid of the bad stuff. You know, they got to like, let go of the old story. They got to let go of the traumas. And once they get into a place of neutrality, so to speak, then it's, an opportunity for them to step into their greatness. And that's exactly what the humble alpha is all about is stepping into your greatness. So it's, it's a very complimentary um, effort with the humble alpha and veteran and healing in general. So that, that's a, a lot of the things that I've been working on and uh, you know, in my free time, I've been doing some traveling, uh, running a couple of different retreats here in the U S and just uh, excited for life and, you know, I'm excited to have this conversation to to dig into whatever areas that's going to benefit the the listener. And uh, you know, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's great to have you on, Lane. And and I I enjoyed so much about your book. It resonated with the inspiring leadership research and work my wife and I have been doing in our various books, inspiring leadership and inspiring women leaders. But it, it brought a a development and a further thought. And I, I particularly. Uh, I've always had a sort of motto that, that three things, a friend of mine, Professor Roger Steer, we were visiting professors at Cass Business School together and uh, we talked about humility, humanity and humor. And I'm just listening to a book called uh, Humor Seriously by two female <laughs> uh, um, people who are teaching at an American university, I think Stanford, about the importance of humor. And, um, and I think looking back in life, I was often, certainly as a young officer, far too serious and took myself far too intensely. I could have lightened up a bit and people would have probably warmed to me more, treated me with a bit more seriousness, funny enough, even though you were being humorous. But I do think this, this whole area of humility is, is really important. And we've had far too many politicians and business leaders who are um, in this ego chamber, people call it, where they're talking about themselves and how wonderful they are and lots of trophies about how great they are. And as, as one, um, one senior officer said to a, a young officer I knew who was very full of themselves. So he said, so while you were single-handedly uh, saving NATO and Western Europe from the Russian onslaught, what was the rest of the British army doing? And uh, <laughs> this, this guy, I think he got the humor. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but You've had a really interesting life. Uh, you know, I'm a great respect for you that you uh, joined the, uh, the Special Forces. Uh, the the uh, You were an Army Ranger, which is incredibly hard to do. A good friend of mine, uh, a Jamaican officer who's remained my friend for about 45 years, Errol Stewart, he, he went off to Santos where he trained as an officer, went back and did the US Ranger course and became top student of his course. Uh, and, and he was, um, he and I were always competing with each other in running and things like that. So 
he said it was that one of the toughest courses he's ever done in his life. He went on and did the Indian commando course as well, which is obviously not the same level, but it was certainly a tough one because they put themselves through lots of tough experiences without really carrying on the consequences. But take me back to the young Lane Ballone. Uh, who, who influenced you, what shaped you, what experiences made you into this amazing man that you are today, writing these books, teaching uh, programs around the world and at top, uh, top places like Forbes. And, you know, just, just give me a flavor of you and some of the things that went on in your, in your life journey, perhaps in about five minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and just to clarify, I wasn't an Army Ranger. Just oh, we? Special Force, yeah. Just you, want to throw that out there. Were you a Green Beret? Was that right? Yeah, Green Beret, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Now, now, teach me as a Brit the difference between the, the Rangers and the Green Berets. Yeah, so they're both part of Special Operations, and uh, okay. the Ranger Regiment is its own unit, Okay. and and Special Forces is its own regiment, yeah. uh, own unit, and there's different five different active duty groups within Special Forces, three different battalions for the uh, Ranger Regiment. And many people within the Special Forces and in just the regular Army can be Ranger qualified. So they go to the 62-day or 61-day course and become Ranger qualified, but they're not in Ranger Regiment. So it's, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a subtle subtle distinction. And uh, But big Special one, Forces a has a, a, a two-year course, qualification course, and a two-month course in there called uh, Special or uh, small unit tactics, which is our own version of our, of Ranger school. So yeah, a uh, little different, but yeah, um, I don't have a Ranger, Ranger tab, but. Um, you certainly have done an awful lot. So I'll t- I <laughs> yeah. take my hat off to you anyway, but thank you for explaining. You for the, yeah. It's quite a significant difference. Um, and often you, it's lovely that you've got the humility there. Anyway, we find in the British army, those who tell you I was in the SAS, they never were. And the ones who never say anything about it, they Probably were, but they won't say anything about it. So, so thank you for that. Yeah. So, so take us back to early childhood, Lane. And- yeah. So, uh, you know, grew up uh, in a small town in Oklahoma, uh, single mom, uh, sister, and we had a lot of love and we didn't have a lot of resources though. And uh, I was in scouts, I was in sports. And so those two things were really the things that um, helped me personally excel into uh, an aspirationally driven efforts. So I love basketball, I love track and field. And of course, scouting was uh, just an awesome experience for me, uh, being able to embed those kind of core principles of the scout law, um, which I, I still hold you know, close to this day. So th- that foundation was really important for me as a, as a young Lane Balone, and I'm grateful for those experiences. Um, so being able to take those that, that, that drive, you know, as a young man and then, okay, what do I do with all this energy, you know, ambition, so to speak. And so towards the end of high school, my, my best friend and I, AJ, we were like, Hey, what do we want to do after high school? You know? And it was like, you know, uh, we had five or six months left in school and still didn't really know. And he was like, I, I was thinking about the Army Rangers, and I was like, oh, I don't know anything about that, <laughs> you know, that, but that sounds kind of interesting, and I was like, oh, I'm thinking about college, you know, of course, and so I was like, well, what are we going to do, you know, and so we both decided, let's do paper, rock, scissors for our destiny, <laughs> and so it seemed like a good idea at the time, and so we, best two out of three, he won, we both joined the military, and uh, college was, you know, a a fun idea, but you know, so we, we both joined the military and, um, 
you know, it was the best thing for me because it allowed me to focus that energy and ambition towards, um, and what the, the military is really good at is this linear path, this very, you know, this is exactly what you need to do to excel. This is what you, you know, what you need to do to get to the next rank, to the next position. Um, and it's, it was, is a really great way for me to find out about high performance myself, uh, how to go down a path in a, in a rapid manner, but in a, you know, being able to extract the depth and the mastery of the skill sets, um, that I was put in front of. So it was a really beautiful, um, way to join the military. And, uh, my first duty station, uh, was overseas in Germany, which was a wonderful experience for me because, um, that's where I learned that I was a curious explorer, that I like to travel and I like to experience new things. So it was a, a really awesome experience. And that was where I found out that the regular army wasn't really for me. Uh, I thought it was a little bit more go-getter. And <laughs> I guess I didn't know the, the thing I had within me, you know, this fire. And I found out about the special forces. Uh, and I was, you know, I saw this thing on this little poster on the, on the, you know, the shop at door say, Hey, come find out about this stuff. I'm like, Oh, I don't know what that is. And so I walk into the uh, auditorium, you know, it's old school auditorium, you know, and they had this projector playing at the, at the front of, you know, special forces guys doing really cool stuff, you know, falling out of the sky, blowing stuff up on four wheelers, you know, just all the cool things that you think that the military is and none of that, none of that stuff I was really doing, you know, I was doing a little bit of it, but nothing to the degree of what was on that video. I was like, man, I want to, I think I want to do that. And, and so that enticed me to, you know, try out for this really hardcore thing. Um, so I joined, so, you know, I, I attend uh, selection, make it, and it's a whole two year process once you uh, get inside the special forces qualification course. Um, but yeah, so that was the, the early days of, you know, my journey, um, a first half of my military career and, uh, really grateful that, you know, it was a beautiful balance of, you know, exposure to culture, exposure to travel, expo exposure to, uh, exploration mixed in with this very elite, very high performance, very mindset driven experience. And, uh, you know, I still hold those experiences very close with a lot of the work that Stephen and I are doing with the Humble Alpha. Yeah, no, what, a, what a fascinating story. Thank you um, for that. And um, if we then go a little bit further and, and look back on your life thus far, if you were to pick out the, the moment that gave you the greatest joy and that you were proudest of, and then a moment uh, which was one of your darkest moments in your personal life or in your, in your career thus far, what would those two imposters be? And, and what was your learning in both, in both situations? Yeah. So I'll start out with the, the darkness, you know, and then we can go into the light. Um, you know, for me going down the path of the military and focusing on this mission driven life, you know, it, it was in some ways very lopsided of like focusing on these, these hardcore missions and these, and all these kind of things. And then whenever I come back, you know, living that hardcore lifestyle of, you know, going out and partying and drinking and that kind of thing was like, it really took away from my, my personal potential, you know, and at the time, you know, the military has that reputation or that kind of, it's almost embedded in the culture to, you know, live hard, 
you know, fight hard and party hard, you know, and it's just kind of part, it's part of the, the culture and, and embedded in almost in the DNA. And you don't really realize, you know, how much that that can, you know, take away from your personal potential. And, you know, it was, you know, I don't take anything back or, you know, I don't regret anything, but, I, you know, looking back, I'm like, man, if I would have been a little bit more conscious of what I was doing and been able to use that, um, you know, the free time or the, the, the time that I wasn't on a mission or deployed, you know, being able to focus that on something a little bit more meaningful. Um, and, and of course, I was doing the work as well. You know, I was reading a lot of books um, while I was in the Special Forces qualification course. That was when I read Tim Ferriss's book, Four Hour Workweek. And what that book offered me was just a very simple idea that I could um, design my life how I so choose. And up, up until that time, I was just meandering through life. And luckily, I had great people on my path to guide me in the right direction, you know, and, and like coaches and sports and scouts when I was a young kid, and then leaders whenever I was in the military to say, hey, I see the potential in you, you need to go after this thing, you know, and luckily, I had that in place every step of the way. Um, but I was always um, being influenced by the external, not not by an internal compass. And so what that that book offered me, you know, insight to, hey, I got an in internal compass that I can start to take imperfect action towards, you know, so. And just to add, uh, before you go on to your your story of your proudest moment, uh, you made me think about two things, as you, many things as you've been speaking. Uh, but, but one was my 20 years in the military. I remember when I went along as a young officer, age 16, and the, the visiting, uh, the hosting officers in the Duke of Wellington's regiment, a Yorkshire regiment was, come on, lad, you know, have a, have a, you know, drink a pint of beer. And I wasn't even drinking at that stage. It was you know, 18 is the age. Uh, come on, drink another one. Another. And I think they tried to give me six pints and not surprising. I was violently ill later on that evening and felt awful. But I thought, so really to be a man, I have to have a large gut and drink lots of beer that just doesn't follow i'm a i'm, I'm a lean skinny runner what why would i want to and i found a lot of the time i loved a lot of the military i was there 20 years but there was this culture of you know to be a man you had to drink lots and it and i just it just didn't resonate and and so it's interesting i, I think i wasted a lot of time either in those kind of things or events i didn't really want to be at trying to be fit in and be sociable and 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 forced to you know, go the way that the majority do, like a bunch of lemmings. And then the second one I loved was, you know, you going through all the testing stages and, and, and all that two years of being tested, like I did airborne training and the various grueling tasks and tests we had and log runs, things like that. Uh, and I, I remember seeing a poster somewhere and it says, life is a test. It's always been a test. If it wasn't a test, you'd be told exactly what to do every minute of the day and how your life's going to end up. So always remember, life is a test. And I think you've lived that um, uh, in, in practice. So take me to proudest moments, happiest moments. And what did you learn from that, Lane? Yeah, so I think on a personal note, uh, my proudest moment was after I got out, my wife and I went on this road trip across America. And it was uh, a span of 37 states over three months. And we, wow. we started in Colorado and then we went uh, northwest generally towards Wyoming and uh, eventually to the Pacific Northwest. And uh, especially that first three or four weeks was just this um, personally 
it's most freeing feeling, you know, like I had, you know, I served 12 years, which is respectable. You know, I didn't retire or anything. Um, but you know, when I got out, it was just like, man, I just feel like I earned this freedom, earned this uh, ability to explore. And it was, you know, that exploration, you know, aspect was part of my DNA, you know, cause I love to travel, I've traveled to 40 countries, you know, and, and so being able to just, you know, beat my own drum to the own rhythm of, you know, what I feel in the moment was just this beautiful um, freedom feeling. And, you know, I, I still remember though, that, that feeling, you know, and, and that's what, you know, part in part drives a lot of the work that I do and inspires, you know, uh, the different efforts that we have is that, you know, to, to one live by that feeling, to feel free, to live, live in this free feeling, and then also help inspire other people to find their own version of that. Because it's great to, you know, do great things in life and uh, inspire. And we're going to do that for sure. Um, but, you know, one of the concepts in the book is we talk about, you know, filling our own cup. And if we don't have our own cup filled and we're feeling empty, we're feeling like we're always giving, 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 but nobody's pouring into us or we're not finding a, an outlet or uh, an, an energetic source or an activity-based source, whether that's through travel or through just, you know, doing the things that you love to do, which fill your cup, it's much more difficult for you to, you know, give freely and help, you know, fill other people's cups to a certain degree. Um, you know, part of Stephen and I's philosophy is what we pour into people is an empowerment to be able to give them the tools, the mindset, the perspective. So that way they can find their own waterfall, you know, of inspiration, energy, enthusiasm for life. So I always hold that experience near and dear to my heart. And, uh, uh, that's one of the things that I think I'm most proud of just, uh, being able to do the military service, get out and actually, you know, do that thing that I really wanted to do. That's fantastic. And imagine you going back and you met the 16 year old Lane Ballone, knowing what you've learned now, how, how old are you now, Lane? Uh, 33. 33. So imagine you, you've gone back from the age of 33 down to 16. What bit of wisdom would you give, uh, to the young Lane? about what matters and what doesn't really matter? Yeah, I would tell him that you already have everything that you need within, that the universe, the world is here to support you. And all you have to do is see the support, see the connection, see the, the way in which things are presented because they've always been there. And, I, and I've, I've looked back on my life many times, especially uh, at a young age, and I've noticed those small moments of, you know, people lifting me up because, you know, as a kid, you know, having a, you know, single mom, I had, uh, you know, the first three or four years were a very difficult upbringing. You know, my mom and I were homeless, you know, when I, when I was one years old, we lived in a homeless shelter, you know, we lived on the lake. And, uh, when I was two or three, we moved 11 times in a year. And so this, you know, that traumatic, you know, uh, experience had a very strong imprint. And so I walked around with no, you know, no confidence. I walked with my head, you know, looking down at the floor. And so by people elevating and lift me up there, it was always that like, Oh, okay. I think they see something in me. And I, I, I remember those moments clearly. 
because they were, because they were there, you know, and if I would say to my 16 year old self or even, you know, whatever age, you know, as, as a young, young boy that you are supported, you are loved and that the universe and the world have got your back. Yeah, that's, that's, that's really great. And I, I really, although my experiences were different relate because uh, I was brought up by a single mom. My father was killed. He was a fast jet pilot in the fleet air arm, the Navy, and he trained with the US forces um, in Texas but he was killed flying when he was 33, the same age that you are, and left my mom at that same age with an, a, a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, and I was two and a half. And, and it does make a huge impact on you. We really didn't have very much at all. Uh, we were in, in a caravan at that time, and uh, you know we've, we've made it. So I, not made it as in I have arrived, you, you're always on a journey, but uh, yeah. <laughs> I look back now, uh, living the, the life I'm very lucky to live now. And I'm very grateful for every moment. And, and I think when you have things that happen to you, it puts everything in perspective. Uh, one of my brothers was attacked and, and almost murdered uh, by um, <clears throat> someone who's going to be in court in a few months time. So I can't talk about who the person was, but um, and my other brother got told uh, about eight weeks ago that he was dying of, of cancer at the age of 63. And he's got just weeks to live. And I think those moments put everything in perspective, Lane, don't they? And, uh, and whether it's, it's you with your single mom and, and being by the lake, being homeless, um, you now appreciate what you do have and the love you and your wife have for each other, the travel you do, um, which has probably shaped the, the first thing I want to talk around the eight points of the Inspiring Leadership Compass, the MQ, the, the values, the, the foundational uh, moral values and integrity that you grew up with. If you were to talk about three values that have served you well and still serve you well as you teach other people, what, what three would you pick as your MQ, moral quotient? Yeah, so uh, <laughs> one, I think, would be authenticity. Mm. And we, we talk about a lot of these different kinds of concepts in the book and, and, and what we're you know, kind of coining Humble Alpha 2.0. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, at the root of everything is... Um, authenticity, um, trust, and care, you know? So it's like, you know, th those kinds of things really are at a very deep part of myself. Um, because when you care, it's, it shapes your actions and behaviors with everything that you do. And the more intentional you are about living life, it's, it's easier for you to choose to care uh, and the, the behaviors and the activities and the expressions um, to the people that you care about, the, the efforts that you care about, the business projects that you care about, you know. Um, so, yeah, those are, those are the three things. Um, yeah. That's, that's great. And we'll go around the compass. The next one is PQ, which is meaning and purpose quotient. Um, so Dharma, your journey, your, your vocation, your calling, this is something you help a lot of people with and you give great inspiration in your, in your book. But, but you know, what gives your own life meaning and purpose, Lane? What would you say is important to you and you'd encourage others to, to say, you know, make that a key part of their life? Yeah, so for me, I have kind of two different um, things that pull me forward, curious exploration and harmonious creation. So curious exploration is like, you know, travel, seeing new things, experiencing new places, foods, you know, the, 
the different perspectives in which, you know, a human can experience. And so that's, that fuels a lot of my um, fun and playfulness. Um, but what that arrives to is harmonious creation for me. And what I mean by that is that when you truly understand exactly who you are and what kind of experience you want to create, it allows you to find the differentiation of yourself and other people, but give full respect, um, full um, ownership of not only your journey, but they themselves. And so it's like, okay, if you want to create art, you know, create some kind of expressive art that's beautiful, inspiring, that's going to invoke some kind of like thing within other people that view it. Well, that's, that's your purpose. That's your thing that you love to do. And then there's other people that say, Hey, I want to gather a whole bunch of people that are sharing beautiful art pieces. That's, and they're gathering people to an art gallery, right? So their purpose, their expression is authentically different because they're doing something different. They're, they're gathering different people into a place to appreciate a wide range of artistic expressions. This is just a simple example. But being able to find exactly who you are, how you interact in the world and what you want to do allows for you to really sink into that, you know, how do I fit into a, a, a bigger collective? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you do exactly what you do. I do exactly what I do. We both respect each other because that's exactly why we we're here. And so the harmonious aspect is that, that I just appreciate you loving what you do. You appreciate that I love what I do. And they fit like as like two beautiful pieces of a puzzle. And they just fit like I'm, I'm not trying to overlap. I'm not trying to do what you do. We're just like, hey, like, like it's just a, a very compatible experience. And being able to add the element of, of creation is just like we're creators. Like we're, you know, whether you want to create art, create a business, create a movement, whatever it is that you want to do, you know, you're able to harness that potential and then create that experience. That's very good. Now, those who watch this video um, on the series will see a painting behind you. And those who are listening will not know. But I'm curious, you mentioned art a few times. Who did the painting behind you? And what's the story behind it? Oh, this one is uh, the only story is that my wife and I, we saw it. And we're like, we just love the colors. And uh, is one of those things where like, I don't know what it is about it. But it just inspires me with this soft colors and uh being able to have that as a as a thing that's like part of this whole you know room you know mm. so yeah we didn't paint it you know not this particular one but, but uh do, do you but paint we, do you paint do you do artwork not not usually but actually yeah. um you know speaking of play and humor uh, a friend of ours he he has um inspired me to step into my playfulness and step into this kind of like childlike you know fun and uh, that's actually, on, you know, so I developed a, a playful list for the summer. And one of those activities is to is to paint and to yeah. express, yeah. Right. you know, in an artistic way. So I'm, I'm moving in that direction, like, you know, kind of like how you like I've, I've been a little serious sometimes or probably way too serious, and especially with my military background and, you know, like mission oriented, but moving forward, I'm integrating these kind of softer sides and, and uh, expressing in an artistic way is definitely one that I've that I'm moving towards. That's great. That's great. Now you talked uh, earlier about the next area, which is health quotient. 
uh, and veterans healing is a particular focus that you want to help. So Health Quotient covers mental and physical health and well-being. What uh, two or three top tips would you give about mental and physical health and well-being to, to the people listening to your podcast? Yeah, so the the idea of healing, you know, is I think the first stage is to get to a, a space of neutrality to where maybe you're not feeling great, but you don't feel like shit, you know, you don't feel terrible. And so finding where you need, what activities you need to do to get to, you know, just neutrality to where you're not in this state of depression. You're not in a state of, you know, some if, if in extreme cases, suicidal thoughts or just reliving traumatic experiences. So one is to just find neutrality. And um, part of that journey is to know the modalities of healing. And, th and this is where, you know, the effort that I'm doing is basically talking to a lot of different leaders in the healing space, finding the universal journey of healing and understanding that everybody's different on their healing journey. So um, some people may need experiential therapy with horses. Some people may need to talk it out. Some people may need to use plant medicine. Some people may need to use other modalities like chiropractor or acupuncture you know so there, there's a wide range of modalities of healing but which one is right for you at this moment yeah and by getting into a group of people that understand this bigger picture or or at least well versed in the healing space to to guide you into the right place to say hey you know based on your experience i think equine therapy would be a really great tool for you to understand yourself to let go of the the, the trauma and once you get to that, you know, all that, you know, all these different modalities of healing, once you get to a place of neutrality, at least, then it's, you're able to then focus not on, okay, now I've, I've, I've let go of the old story in my healing journey. Now, how can I step into my greatness? How can I really find my purpose? How can I really step into the, the activities, projects, businesses that are going to make the impact that's going to fill my soul? You know, so those are the two main kind of, you know, aspects of this healing of, of mental health, you know, or, and physical health, of course, you know, plays into it as well. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, um, it's been something that's really been very big for me and I had something quite large to deal with <clears throat> in leftover from my, um, bear with me, from my, my first marriage. <clears throat> and, um, it got me very down and I found that actually during the pandemic we got ourselves a new puppy Archie who's now a year old and he was the best kind of therapy going because he's a working cocker spaniel he needs lots of exercise loves chasing balls and you throw them and throw them and he'll just and he loves you unconditionally and so my wife Lee and I have really enjoyed having him in our in our family in this uh, time and I also found like you um roots to healing uh, was often through um, the, the Daily Stoic, which I listened to by Ryan Holdates, a favorite of mine, mindfulness for 20 minutes every morning, yoga three days a week, HIIT training uh, three days a week, and, uh, and then walking the dog twice a day. Th those have been my ways of, of getting good mental health from being in a dark place. And, and, uh, and everybody has different ways, but I think it's so interesting. And I'm very interested at some stage, either next year or the year after, coming with you and with Stephen to Peru and experiencing some of the plant-based medicine 
to take me through getting rid of the old stuff and moving into, into my new life as I, I, as I come to 60 years old. You're never, never too old to do this. Um, 100%, and, yeah. And to, and to relearn. Look, thank you for that. So let's go on to EQ, the next part, emotional and social intelligence. You know, I, I found both in, in your writing and in meeting you last time and this time, you have a high degree of emotional and social intelligence. What two or three top tips would you give to people who uh, you and I have met who crash around a bit and don't realize their damaging impact on other people or don't even notice their impact? How would you encourage them to develop their emotional and social intelligence to be more successful with other people in the world? Yeah, so I think uh, first one is judgment and really understanding how much people judge themselves and judge other people. This is a really difficult thing to look at yourself um, because it's like, man, I, I can't believe I'm judging people that much. Um, but I think that just, you know, doing a, an exercise of, of judgment, to, you know, how, how much I prefer to judge or what I think the world should look like, um, biases, um, and also discussing this topic with people that, that you, you can trust to have an open dialogue with and to, it's not going to feel good. I promise you, because so many people judge and they don't even know it. They're unwitting of the judgment of the bias of the, of this type of perspective. So I would say anybody that's listening to this, look at that and look at it with an open heart because it's there, I promise you. And it's within me, it's within all of us. And the idea is to remove as much judgment within ourselves uh, as possible because it starts with us. And, and, and people will find that, that if you judge the external world, if you judge other people, you're doing the exact same thing yourself internally and you may not even know it. So the judgment is, is a really big one. Yeah. And two, I would say, look at the potential within yourself and other people. And you'll see a common thread of what you do to yourself is what you do to other people. So if you see the potential within yourself, the greatness, you see the hope, you see what you're stepping into, you automatically view the world from that same lens. And so you'll start to look at other people and you'll see, oh man, I just see greatness in you. I see, I see this vast potential that you're stepping into and you may not even be privy to it. You may not even know it, but that's the lens that you look at the world through. And so if you, if you do that within yourself, you start to do that within other people. Yeah. And then I think the third thing is, um, goes back to care. I do just wholeheartedly just care for yourself and for other people. And when you do that, it allows you to find the right thing to say. It allows you to find the right thing to do, you know? So as, as a quick example, if you care about somebody, sometimes no advice is the best thing that you could do, you know? And so if you truly care about your, one of your best friends, uh, your partner, um, and you, and you know, the answer, because you're, you've, maybe you've been through that type of experience, you have the wisdom, you know what to say, but that's not what they need in the moment because you truly care. Maybe all they, all they need right now is a listening ear, just, just to have them just get it out of the system, you know, just to vent to get, you know, that's when you, when you truly care about people, you know how to read that situation and then you act based on that care. Yeah. 
Uh, let's search wisdom there. Um, and really, if I could just reinforce what you say from my own experience, I, I find it's it's a bit like being a junkie judgment. I, I find I, I get hooked on it and, and I think I'm not doing it, but I'm judging myself and I'm certainly judging other people. And to get away from this judgment, to be non-judgmental is a, a constant journey. It's like mindfulness. You, you think you're being non-judgmental and then you're judgmental and then you're back on again. It's, it's just, and then the other one is non-attachment. You know, I, I remember we, my wife and I got two lovely champagne glasses from a, a very nice uh, friend who came to our wedding uh, and, and I cracked one of them and I was really upset about it. And actually my wife had just, just let it go. Just all right, it, it, it was an accident. You knocked it over, it smashed. You can't put it back together again, just let it go. Don't be attached to that glass, what it represents, um, move on. And, and I think, you know, life's like that, that, uh, that if you imagine things are just, they're just transitory, you can't take them with you that's very helpful but this biases and um care for yourself and for others that the the perspective you take i think is so true so there's a lifetime of work in that and i know i'm still working hard on that right now which takes us nicely onto the next one cq cultural quotient and, and this is about diversity equality and inclusion a, a big area that you have been working on for people to see others who are different not make them wrong but just understand their perspective to walk a mile in their shoes or even a couple of steps. Um, what would be your advice on, on that kind of topic of, of having greater cultural intelligence question, adapting to different people in different countries and climates and backgrounds and orientation? Yeah, I'd say, you know, and a very tangible piece of advice is to go experience the places that make you uncomfortable. Go experience the places that you have found that you judge a lot, right? So being able to experience those places, experience the people, experience the stories, you find the humanity in it. You find the commonality in it. And so oftentimes when we're, we're in a judgmental state, we say, oh, well, the way I do it is better than the way they do it. But when you experientially visit these different places that make you uncomfortable or that have a different perspective, what, what is the natural byproduct is understanding. You understand more of like, oh, I see why they do that now because of this condition, this environmental condition, this financial condition, all these different things that if we were not to be able to experience it, we would overlook it because we weren't, we're not there. We're not hearing the stories. And so in my experience, being able to travel to different places and experiencing wide ranges of facets of society. I've been able to just, like you said, put my feet in their shoes and say, okay, this is what it's like to live in the Arctic. This is what it's like to live in Libya. This is what it's like to live in Bali. This is what it's like to live in a nice place in the United States. All those different perspectives automatically help you remove judgment because it's like, oh, well, I, I see why people do things now. And um, you know, being able to experience it Will help you let go in a very tangible way. Beautifully put. Uh, and that takes me on to, we talk about hardship and what people go through. Uh, and you've been through a lot of tough times and adversity and needing a lot of resilience. What would be a couple of tips you'd give people to, for greater resilience uh, to cope with stress and challenges they face? Yeah, put meaning behind the challenge. 
put meaning behind the, the difficult experience. Allow yourself to basically tell yourself like, man, because of this hardship, I'm able to inspire other people to get out of a similar hardship. You know, so um, I have a friend that uh, he's also Green Beret. He uh, was in Afghanistan. He's got a, he got his leg blown off. And for a while, he was really down about it. And then somehow we found a place to say, you know what, I'm going to take this very difficult situation, this hardship, and turn it into something good. And so he started training, he started biking, and, you know, he's now done different types of events, you know, including um, triathlons and uh, biking experiences with, you know, George W. Bush, which, you know, don't want to get into politics or anything, but, you know, it's uh, about being able to take that hardship and convert it into something meaningful. And, and when, when you flip the switch on that within yourself, the whole perspective of why I'm going through this changes. It allows you to find a deeper place within yourself to, to, to flip that resiliency switch within yourself and go harder or go further or whatever it is that you need in that moment. You always have this this energy source that is going to fuel you to the finish line or fuel you to eventually overcome. And whenever you get to that place of overcoming, that's where your, your story becomes an inspiration to other people that are potentially going through something similar. Brilliant. Um, we're coming towards the end, but I just want to cover brand legacy and then a bit about teams, turning a toxic team around your favorite book and then the top tip. So, um, what would be the, the one tip you'd give about people enhancing their own brand reputation, their image and their impact with other people? I think uh, finding alignment with who you are and how you interact in the world is one of the most key things that you can do for a business brand or even a personal brand, because the root of everything that you do, whether it's marketing, sales, systems within your business, all of that has a root of who you are and how you interact with the world. When you clearly define that, you're able to have this very simple yet very depth oriented um, source. And, and the more depth that you have with that, the more authenticity that you have with that, being able to have branding language, branding vocabulary, branding uh color palette, website, you know, all the stuff that you think of when you think of brand, those things become almost a byproduct of that original source of who you are and how you interact in the world. And it becomes very easy for you to say, well, that's not what we stand for. That's not what we do. That's not how we interact. That's not how we treat our customers. That's not how we treat our team, team members. And so it becomes a very easy um, pathway forward to um, articulate your brand, you know, to the external world. Yeah, which leads me on nicely to the last one, which is legacy. Um, if you were to give people a tip about working out what, what is to be their legacy in their lifetime, the, the stewardship, the, the leaving things better than they found it in their work, in their life, what, what one tip would you give about uh, leaving a real legacy? I'd say look at your life as a beautiful, powerful story and taking a, a big, big, big step back. Uh, what your life looked like. And, and, and we're talking about broad stroke stuff, 
you know, so what, what did your upbringing look like? What did your high school days look like? What did your early adulthood look like? What did, what is your, you know, midlife look like? What is, you know, all these different kind of big moving pieces. And then you start to connect the dots on what is my life journey? You know, what did it look like? What story was I telling? And if it's a story of overcoming, then that's, that's where, that's how you can start to find like the specificity in your legacy. If it's a story of inspiring, if it's a story of, you know, you had a great upbringing, you had a great business, you know, maybe it's a story of giving, you know, so being able to look at your life from a very macro point of view, looking at these different elements of your life and connecting the dots and seeing what does the story tell and being able to then have that inspire this very kind of simple legacy framework, whether it's this broad stroke type of, you know, intention for, you know, what does my life, what does my life story tell 50 years from now, hundred years from now, you know, 500 years from now. I must say, Lane, you are truly inspiring. And I, I found as I'm listening to this, I'm just your broadcast host, but th this is really resonates for me very deeply. I, I've read your, I've listened to your, your book, but you just take it even further. And I, and I find a real utter alignment with the viewpoint that you have. Not that that's always good to find someone who thinks just like you do, but, but you've, we, we've had completely different life experiences, but that really strikes me. And as I was going through some tough times in the last year, being able in a very stoic philosophy way to step right back and go, what's the learning in this? All this hardship, you know, what's it teaching me? What is the teachable moment in this? What, what, what's the crucible moment that I'm going through that will make me better able to inspire leadership in others? So, so thank you for that. You, you explained it beautifully. Um, executive teams, in, in, a, in a tip, imagine that a, a, a business has got a, a toxic team, might have a toxic individual in it, and they, they want to make it higher performing. How have you helped them to take it from a toxic team to a high performing team? Is there a sort of if you were to give an essence of a, of, a, of a key step they need to take, what would you advise? Yeah, so um, there's, a, there's a lot around this. I, I'd say one big key step is to um, sink into unique differentiation. What does everybody do in the team? And do they like to do it? Like, is it, is it part of their life's journey? And what I mean by that is like, you know, we all know those, uh, or, or at least, you know, we can conceptually understand that, you know, the accountant that just loves numbers, like they're not anything but a number lover. They love it. They live it, breathe it. And, and like, for me, like, I'm not a numbers guy. Like I just, it's not, doesn't, it doesn't like spreadsheets, ratios, formula, none of that stuff, but some people really, really love it, you know? And whenever you sink into, that that's exactly what role they play within the team, then it's much easier for everybody to just, Hey, he's got that. She's got that. Um, but the, the fundamental uh, perspective is that everybody does exactly what they love to do and what they're really good at. And it's, and it's verbally and communicated and articulated to where all seven of us, all four of us make a complete picture for what we do. With, for, for this team and um, really truly understanding that aspect, I think will um, take away from the stress, the, 
Um, the uh, oh, and then one, and one last thing is, whenever the team has a a clear articulated vision for what they're what they're going after or what they're aiming for, it's very easy for um, everybody to decide whether they're with that vision or not because most of the time, you know, if we have a toxic person within a team, they just don't get the vision. They don't get where we're going and, and they want to go somewhere else. So articulating that, that collective vision for the team, for the business uh, is vitally important and it allows everybody to go in a, in a similar direction, but they all have their own differentiated efforts within that collective vision. Really good, thank you for that. And then um, before we go into your top tip, um, Apart from this excellent book, Unleash Your Humble Alpha, uh, 1.0, and maybe I'm looking forward to two, listening to 2.0, do do as an audio book, whatever you create. Um, what other leadership book would you recommend that you found quite profound that you've been reading in the last year because you keep learning and growing? Would you mention a particular book that I could listen to or, or, or read? Hmm. <laughs> this is a tough one. Um... I think uh, something that uh, within the past year has inspired me to think bigger is blitz scaling. Yes, I'm, I've got that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, uh, that's really um, something that inspired me to think bigger, to uh, be able to find some kind of business or some kind of project that could fit in that mold, right? Because of the, the uh, potential for scalability, for impact. And uh, so that, that Stephen and I, we've taken action on that and it's in the works. So we're very excited about integrating that type of business or project within our humble alpha ecosystem. So, uh, but that book was uh, very inspiring for me. Yeah, thanks. I'll, I'll pass you one back as a, a, a book that made a big impact. Similar is No Rules Rules by Reed Hastings, the CEO of Netflix. And uh, you'd like that one as well. That was a, that's a good, good listen. So let's go into, if you just introduced yourself again, Lane, and tell uh, everybody what you do and leave us with your two minute top tip. Uh, and then we'll wrap up there. If you stay on the line, we'll have a chat after we come off recording, but please, if you'd introduce your two minute top tip and yourself. Yeah, I'm Lane Ballone. I'm a curious explorer, harmonious creator and enjoyer of the good stuff. Uh, along with Stephen Kuhn, I co-authored the book Unleash Your Humble Alpha, Special Forces Veteran, and co-founded the Humble Alpha Veteran Empowerment Movement. I'm also a spiritual advisor and focus much of my time on veteran healing. And my top tip would be to ask yourself, what is your preferred experience in life? What is your preferred experience for a day? What is your preferred experience for a week, a month, and a year? And when you answer that honestly, and it's, this is not about mapping out exactly every single day I do this or every single do, day or week I have to do this, but understanding that it is a preferred experience, that I'm basically finding this vision for myself in a very detailed, specific, tangible way. And the byproduct of articulating a preferred experience of a preferred day, a preferred week, a preferred month, a preferred year is that when you start filling in the details of that, you're able to then almost in a uh, binary way, take action either, okay, is today's action gonna be gonna lead me towards this preferred experience? If it's yes, well, I'm gonna do it wholeheartedly and enthusiastically. 
And if it's no, then, well, let me really think of why I'm doing this. And of course, in the beginning, you might have to do things that you don't like to do, but eventually you're always in the back of your mind, you're, you're deciding to have the preferred experience in life. And that may be this beautiful balance of quality of life, successful business and beautiful relationships. And that may be the centerpiece of like what you prefer. And so you'll start to live more intentionally and you'll say, okay, all my behaviors, all my actions, everything is leading towards beautiful relationships with people I care about success in business and doing the things that I love to do in my, my company and having just an incredible quality of life of travel exploration and elevating other people. So preferred experience, get detailed on that, and then start taking action that will lead to that preferred experience. Brilliant. Well, I just want to say, Lane, thank you for being on the series. Um, I am learning you uh, as much as anything that you teach me. And uh, I'm sure others will get as much from your writing and, and your teaching. So thank you very much for being on the Inspiring Leadership Series. Thank you so much for asking beautiful, thought-provoking questions that I think a lot of leader or a lot of leaders and listeners are gonna take a lot away from. So thank you for this opportunity. Thanks, Lane. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you. 